Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Lavinia. Welcome to There She Goes, where women writers share true stories of travel. Their stories, their experiences, told in their own voices. One of the reasons we started this podcast is that the first time Kelly and I met, we told each other travel stories. We were complete strangers, but after spending just a few hours trading stories about experiences in Morocco and South Korea, Italy and Greece, we were friends. Our travel stories connected us. We recognized them as important. And we came away from that first meeting feeling validated and inspired. This is the power of women's personal travel narratives. Consider our storytelling podcast a brand new passport, transporting you every week to a different place for a brief escape, sometimes far away, other times closer to home. Consider our storytellers your brand new travel friends, your sidekicks and sisters and guides. Or even therapists. And consider this your chance to hear some of the stories you may have missed. There She Goes is that simple. No chit-chat, no interviews. Just great storytelling by women travelers. We invite you to settle in for the adventure. Today we travel with Mothangi Subramanian to Bangalore, India, where a young girl teaches her about pride, prayer, and the politics of desire. Mothangi is an Indian-American writer and educator whose middle grades novel, Dear Mrs. Naidu, won the South Asia Book Award. Her novel, A People's History of Heaven, was a finalist for the Lambda Literary Awards and was longlisted for the Penn Faulkner and the Center for Fiction First Book Prize. Her personal essays and op-eds have appeared in Harper's Bazaar, The Washington Post, Ms. Magazine, and Al Jazeera America, among others. I'm Mothangi Subramanian, reading Frangipani. Every evening, the limbs of the Frangipani tree that shaded our second-story apartment shivered and rustled, strewing star-shaped blossoms onto our balcony's tiled floor. Balmy lake breezes mixed the petals' thick perfume with the aromas of brewing coffee and fried snacks wafting from our neighbor's kitchen windows. In the distance, auto rickshaws and motorcycles revved their engines, announcing the start of Bangalore's evening commute. The minute I heard the creaking branches, I'd stop whatever I was doing to come outside. Leaning over the balcony's wrought iron railing, I'd smile and wave at the black-haired girl who was, inevitably, perched somewhere on the tree's trunk, her bare feet tight against the rough bark, her long fingers plucking flowers. Namaskara, Varuna, I'd call out. Hege Dira, how are you? Namaskara, Akka, I am fine, Varuna would reply, waving back. Good, I'd say, reaching for clusters of newly opened flowers nestled between the leaves. I handed them to Varuna in fistfuls, careful not to crush the petals, delicate as wishes. Varuna's body was like a stretched rubber band, long and thin and taut with momentum. Ropey muscles lined her arms, and her hair, which looked like it had never been cut, hung past her hips in a straight, tightly wound braid. She wore sun-faded cotton salwar kameez and always had a plastic shopping bag looped around her wrist. She never wore shoes. 
Varuna's mother tongue was Kannada, a language she chirped like a parakeet, and one I was just beginning to learn. I'd greet her, ask how she was doing, always fine, big sister, always fine, and what she had for lunch, biryani or roti or halwa. Once I asked her what class she was in at school, third standard, and how old she was, 11, and why she wasn't wearing a school uniform. I don't go to school, big sister. When my husband was home, he'd translate, falling easily into the Kannada he spoke while growing up in Bangalore in the 1990s. Can you ask her what the flowers are for? I asked him once. After a few rapid exchanges, my husband translated. She said that they're for puja, they're auspicious. Her mother is praying for something and she needs them. I didn't ask what Varuna's mother was praying for. I didn't have to. If she needed the flowers badly enough to send her daughter climbing strangers' trees, it must be something important. Once my landlady, who lived downstairs, caught Varuna climbing the tree and flew into a rage. Get down from there, my landlady yelled, shaking her fist. Her hennaed hair quivered and her cheeks flushed an angry pink. Those aren't yours. They're just flowers, I said. Why can't she have them? They're my flowers, my landlady said. She can't just take things. It's not right. For the next week, my landlady sat vigil in her front room, ready to spring outside the second she saw Varuna within a few yards of the tree. Through our floor, which was her ceiling, I could hear her muttering about how poor people in Bangalore are out of control. During those weeks of hyper-vigilance, Varuna and I developed a system. She would turn onto our street and look up at me. If my landlady was home, I'd signal that Varuna should leave. If she wasn't home, I'd beckon frantically. Varuna would flash up the tree, a brown streak of manic limbs, and the two of us would pluck furiously, filling her bag before we were discovered. I was in Bangalore because I had received a Fulbright Fellowship to study India's publicly funded early childhood education centers. Most of these centers were in slums. During my fieldwork, I found myself spending less time observing lessons and more time gossiping and giggling with the mothers who stopped by for rations, forms, or moments of rest. The women were curious about me and the incongruous combination of my dark Indian skin and twangy Western accent. They asked me about my parents, my husband, my job. Inevitably, they'd ask me when my husband and I were going to have kids. Soon, I'd say. When you want children, here's what you do. Buy a packet of milk and take it to the coil just there, one mother told me, gesturing in the direction of about four different Hindu temples. Or you can go to another coil down the street there and ask for a special puja, another said. The priest will give you ghee. If you eat that ghee, you'll get pregnant immediately. Don't forget to bring flowers, they all reminded me. Puja is always better with flowers. I wondered what kind of pujas were prescribed for women who wished for something besides marriage or children. What if a woman wanted a college degree or a book deal or a visa to another country? What if she wanted to leave her husband or move into her own home or start a career? I never asked, not because I didn't want to know, but because it didn't seem right. In the slums, women live in worlds that prohibited too much wanting or wishing, too much hoping. Women who test the limits of hope shouldn't expect help, human or divine. Men want, women provide. That's the way the world works. 
No one told me this specifically, but somehow they made sure I knew. One day, after another morning in the slums, I came home and stopped in front of the frangipani tree. Lost in thought, I plucked a plush bunch of blossoms and buried my nose in them, inhaling a fragrance like starlight. My landlady stepped outside, clutching an expensive purse and a set of house keys. Oh, I said, holding up the flowers, I'm so sorry. Don't be silly, take, take, she said, breaking off a few more and handing them to me. Thank you, I said. After a minute, I asked, so it's okay to take these? Of course, why do you ask? When Varuna came, you didn't want her to have any, I said. When my landlady looked at me blankly, I said, the little girl with the long braid? That girl? Gee, that's different, my landlady said, wrinkling her nose in recognition. You, you please take as many as you like. One of the last times Varuna visited me, she attracted the attention of the gang of nine and ten-year-old boys who ruled our street. They gathered at the foot of the tree, peering up into the branches, their faces wrinkled with suspicion. What is she doing? The leader called up to me. Ask her, I told him. Okay, he said, nodding. He turned to Varna and, switching into Kannada, asked, What are you doing? She spoke to him so rapidly that I only understood every third or fourth word. Still, I knew it had something to do with pujas and flowers and her mother. Did she tell you? I asked. Yes, he said. She's doing it for puja. Can you help her? After a minute, he said, nodding approvingly, Okay, puja is good. We can help. He sent the youngest boy to get a plastic bag, then delegated the other two to go to the other frangipani trees on our block. The boys weren't very good at climbing trees, they were too young, but they managed to fill their bags. Varuna dropped onto the pavement and accepted them graciously, her smile tight and proud. Then my landlady's red Toyota pulled into the driveway. How dare you, she yelled as she let herself out of the car, not even waiting for her driver to open the door as she usually did. Those are mine. The boys watched curiously but didn't say anything. Neither did I. Varuna turned on her heels and walked away, her steps rhythmic and measured, her back as straight and poised as a queen's. A few days before, when I had been caught with frangipani in my hand, I had stuttered out an apology. But Varuna knew that those precious flowers and the power they held belonged to her just as much as they belonged to me or my landlady or the boys on my street. She knew that the poor deserve as much desire as the rich, that women and girls ought to be allowed the same number of wishes as boys and men. Knew that, despite what anyone told her, she and her mother were entitled to their dreams. Varuna's gods hadn't showered her with luck, but they weren't interested in withholding it. Only humans were interested in that. I watched her retreating back and, for the first time in years, I had the urge to pray. You've been listening to There She Goes, a storytelling podcast created by two women travelers and recorded from their homes in Alabama and Louisiana. Our theme music is a selection from the song City of Refuge, created and performed by Abigail Washburn. Thanks to Jay Burgess for engineering. Thanks to our amazing writers for proving how essential women's stories are and for bringing their voices to There She Goes. And thanks to you, our listeners, for coming along. We hope you'll be back next week for another story and another stamp in your new passport. <laughs>